Well, hello and welcome to worship. Uh, it's good to be with you. For those of you that I haven't met before, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And whether this is your first time to tune in with us at Kindred and you're just kind of scoping us out or you've been around here for a while or anything in between, uh, it's good to be together. Well, today our scripture is from Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And it says this. A revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Christ made it known by sending it through his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the witness of Jesus Christ, including all that John saw. Favored is the one who reads the words of this prophecy out loud, and favored are those who listen to it being read and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before God's throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and always. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I wonder... I wonder if you've ever been through a time when uh, you looked around at your life and you looked around at the world and it just seemed like evil was winning, that, that uh, the, the goodness and, and the beauty and the love, that, that all of that just kind of paled in comparison to the, the evil. I know this is kind of a dark way to, to open the sermon, uh, but I think this is important for us to think about. Uh, you know, I had this moment uh, back over the summer of 2020. And at that time, uh, we were still in the height of the pandemic. You know, this was pre-vaccines and, and all of that. And this was like on the heels of the murder of George Floyd, which obviously was this uh, horrific, vivid reminder uh, that racism in our society is alive and well. And the presidential election was coming up and there was just a whole bunch of extra political hostility and misinformation going on. And about this time, uh, there was this new report that had come out about climate change and just how bleak the outlook is for our planet. And I remember during that season on a more personal level, we were working so hard to try to get Kindred Church started. Uh, and because of the pandemic and some other things, we, we just faced challenge after challenge. And uh, it felt like disappointment after, after disappointment. And I remember I had this moment over the summer of 2020 where I, I found myself thinking, man, evil is winning. I mean, it just seems like everywhere I look, I see frustration and, and hate and suffering and and injustice, and death, and, and it just seems like evil is winning. Well, I share that because my guess would be that many of you have had a similar experience at one time or uh, another, um, that, that maybe some of you are in that place right now. Uh, there may be some of you who would say, uh, look, Daniel, this is nothing new for me. Uh, I've been feeling like evil is winning ever since I was a kid. 
and my dad walked out on us, or uh, ever since I had to say that final goodbye to my mom, or I've been feeling like evil was winning uh, ever since I was abused, or ever since I got the diagnosis, or uh, ever since I started watching the news and just started realizing how much poverty there is in the world and how much suffering, and, and on and on and on. My, my point is that I'm sure most of us have in one way or another come face to face with the fact that, that this world can be a pretty messed up place. And so we, we have times, we have seasons, sometimes long seasons, where it just seems like evil is winning. Now, uh, that's a hard place to be in its own right. But I think in, in some ways, it's especially hard for us as people of faith. Because uh, when, it, when it seems like evil is winning, that can really challenge our faith in some serious ways. And it can give rise to these big, heavy questions. Like, if God is God... How could evil be winning? You know, just last week we, we celebrated Easter and we can find ourselves thinking sometimes, well, look, if Easter is true and if Jesus really did overcome sin and evil and death, then, then how could evil be winning? Uh, there may be some of you that this is the reason why you walked away from faith at some point in your past because you just you couldn't square your faith any longer with the evil that you had experienced or, or the, the, the evil uh, that you witnessed. And uh, if that's you, I'm really glad that you're listening to this today. I hope that this is going to give you a new perspective that can begin to, to restore your faith. Uh, but even if that's not you personally, I'm, I'm sure all of us know somebody that, that this is part of their story. So as you're listening to the sermon today, if you feel like this could be helpful to somebody that you know, feel free to, to share the link with them. Uh, but I know that for others of us, you know, maybe we never walked away from faith completely. But in those times when it seems like evil is winning, that can take a serious toll on our faith. And we can find ourselves kind of pulling back, at least a little bit, pulling back from investing in our faith and nurturing our faith, pulling back from practicing our faith in certain ways. Because there's some small part of us that starts to think in those times, like, maybe I don't want all my eggs in the Jesus basket. You know, like I'll, I'll keep Jesus in my life, I guess. I'll, I'll keep working him in when it's convenient for me, but I'm not going all in anymore because the way things are going, it's just not clear that Jesus is really going to come through. It, it feels like evil is winning. Well, maybe none of this resonates with you and, and your experience, but if any of this resonates uh, at all, I want you to know that you are in good company. And in fact, uh, there's a group of Christians that we meet in the Bible who were feeling all of these things in a major, major way. And, and I want to spend some time with you looking at their story, because in the midst of that experience, uh, they learned something. They gained a perspective that ultimately helped to restore their faith, and it restored their sense of hope. And what they learned helped them to find peace, uh, and even in some cases, joy in the midst of a, a really dark and, and difficult time that they were going through. So I think this is a, an important story and, and one that is uh, very relevant to so many of us. Uh, so here's the, the context for this story. It takes place uh, about 40 years, give or take, after Jesus' death and resurrection. So we're in the, in the first century, 
And uh, it takes place in this region in modern day Turkey. At the time, it was part of the Roman Empire. It was this province called Asia. That's kind of confusing to us today because we think of Asia as this whole uh, separate continent. Uh, so for our purposes, we'll just, we'll call it Turkey since that's what it is today. Uh, but in this region in, in modern day Turkey, uh, there were these seven churches and these were new churches because at this time in history, all churches were new churches. Uh, there were these seven churches in these seven different cities in this, in this region. And the Christians in these churches were going through a really, really hard time. And here's why. Even though these churches were doing a lot of good in their cities, I mean, they were creating community, they were feeding the poor, uh, they were caring for the vulnerable, they were showing love and dignity to people in their societies who had been marginalized. I mean, all these wonderful things that, that followers of Jesus are, are supposed to do despite all of that. The Christians in these cities face this growing sense of resentment from the majority populations there. And we have to remember that at this time, uh, Christianity was not like a major world religion by any means. It was small, uh, it was new, and in these cities in the Roman Empire, Christians were just a very small minority group. And, uh, and the majority population uh, lived very differently. So, so Christians in this context, uh, they believed in different gods than everybody else. The majority population was pagan, meaning that they worshiped and, and believed in the Roman gods and the Greek gods, and in some cases, other more local kinds of, of deities. So that made Christians different. Uh, Christians obviously worshiped differently than everybody else. They had a different way of life than everybody else. Christians did not worship along with everybody else at the pagan temples. Christians didn't participate in the pagan festivals that everybody participated in. Uh, Christians also didn't spend their money at pagan temples. They didn't spend money at pagan festivals. And so there was this sense of, from the majority population that these Christians are they're kind of bad for business. And so there was this growing sense of resentment for all these different reasons against the Christians. And at a certain point, this resentment spilled over into active persecution. That these first Christians began to experience financial persecution. That they were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. In some cases, they were losing their businesses because people refused to hire them or to do business with them. Uh, these early Christians were facing social persecution, that uh, pagan friends and, and family members that used to be a big important part of their lives were now shunning them and, and ostracizing them because they were Christian. Uh, in many cases, these Christians were facing actually violent persecution. These angry mobs would sometimes rise up and they would come and they would drag Christians out of their homes. They would drag Christians out of their churches and they would beat them publicly. In some cases, they would kill them. And the local governments at this time were doing nothing to stop all of this. And in fact, in, in sometimes the, the local governments were behind this persecution. So these early Christians were going through a really, really hard time. And as we can imagine, they were depressed and overwhelmed and they were scared and they were confused because everywhere they looked, just like some of us have experienced in, in different ways in our own life. Everywhere they looked, it just felt like evil was winning. They, they saw uh, suffering, they saw injustice, they saw hate, they saw death. And in the face of that, it took a toll on their faith. And they started asking some of those big, heavy questions that, that sometimes we ask too. That, that if God is God, how can evil be winning? That, that if Jesus really did overcome evil and sin and death, how can evil be winning? And, and as a result of some of those big, heavy questions, some of those early Christians began to walk away from faith entirely. Others of these early Christians began to kind of pull back 
in different ways from their faith. And if nothing had changed, there's a good chance that these churches would have eventually just kind of fizzled away and, and dissolved and, and disappeared. That, that's kind of how things were going. But fortunately for them, uh, and as we'll see in a second, fortunately for us uh, as well, about this time, these early Christians got some really helpful guidance. And the guidance that they received helped to restore their faith in this very dark and, and very difficult time. And the guidance that they received came from this guy named John. Uh, some of you are familiar with John. John was one of Jesus' very first disciples, one of the very first people that Jesus said, come and, and follow me. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, John went on to become a, a very important leader in the early church. And then late in his life, when John is a very, very old man, John gets arrested. And we don't exactly know all the details of how he got arrested or why. We do know that it wasn't because of unpaid parking tickets uh, or something like that. It was something to do with the fact that he was a leader in the church. So he got arrested and they sent him to this island prison called Patmos. It was sort of like the Alcatraz of the, the ancient world. And it just so happened that this island prison called Patmos was just off the coast of Turkey. And so that put John in, in close proximity to these Christians who were going through such a, a hard time. Well, uh, one Sunday morning, um, John was in his prison cell and he was doing what Christians do on Sunday morning. He was worshiping and, and praying and, and I imagine he was probably praying for these nearby Christians who were having such a hard time. And during his prayer, suddenly John gets this vision. He gets this vision where Jesus comes to him and he recognizes Jesus right away because remember John had spent three years following Jesus earlier in his life. So Jesus comes to John and Jesus says, John, uh, I'm getting ready to show you some stuff. I'm going to show you a vision of heaven and like what is going on in heaven right now. And, and uh, Jesus says, John, I'm also going to show you a vision of what's going to happen in this world in the future. And Jesus says, John, I want you to write down what you see. I want you to turn it into a letter. And I want you to send that letter to these nearby Christians who are facing such severe persecution because they're going through such a hard time. They feel like evil is winning and they need help making sense of this. Uh, they, they need help understanding what is really going on so that their faith can be restored. Well, then sure enough, uh, Jesus gives John these, these visions and they are mysterious and they are highly symbolic and, and very much metaphorical. Uh, but John writes down what he sees and he sends his visions in this letter to the, the nearby Christians like Jesus had told him to. And when those Christians received this letter, it was so valuable to them and so important to them. They ended up saving it. They made copies. They started circulating this letter from John uh, all around to other churches, even beyond that region. And then eventually this letter became so influential that it made its way into what we now call the Bible. Uh, and today it's actually the very last book of our Bible. It's called Revelation. Revelation. So what does John say in the book of Revelation that was so valuable to these early Christians when it felt like evil was winning? What did John say here that, that had such a powerful effect in renewing their faith? Well, it's interesting to me that John doesn't do what uh, a lot of Christians today do. You know, a lot of times today when tragedy strikes, when we encounter some kind of evil, 
Christians are, are pretty quick to, to try to explain away that evil. You know, Christians are quick to say things like, oh, it's, it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's plan or, or something, something like that. Uh, other times, Christians today in the face of evil will try to downplay it. You know, they'll try to shift the focus away and say, well, it's really not that bad or uh, just focus on the positives. Keep looking for the, the silver linings, that kind of thing. Uh, John doesn't do any of that. Instead, as John is helping these persecuted Christians try to make sense of the fact that it seems like evil is winning, uh, here's what John does. Here's what John does. Uh, John reminds us of the story that we're a part of. John reminds us of the story that we're living within. And specifically, John calls our attention to how that story ends. John says, remember that the story of this world and the story of us is not open-ended. The, the outcome of this story is not up for grabs. It's already been decided. It's already been determined because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the victory has already been won. And that means that our story will not end with evil winning, period. Our story ends with love winning. Our story ends with eternal life in this world where evil doesn't even exist anymore. That's what John is getting at when he drops this quote from Jesus in the passage that we read earlier. Uh, did you catch this? This is in the, the opening lines of this letter that we now call Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. John is quoting Jesus and Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus says, uh, I am the one who is and the one who was and the one who is coming, the Almighty. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? Well, uh, John originally wrote Revelation in Greek. And uh, in the Greek alphabet, Alpha is the first letter and Omega is the very last letter of the alphabet. So in effect, Jesus is saying, I'm the beginning and... Don't forget, no matter what, I'm also the end. The, the end is not evil, Jesus says. The end is me. The end is me. Well, do you see how that perspective reframes the evil that we experience? It doesn't explain evil. It certainly doesn't downplay the evil that we experience, but it does reframe it. Right? Because it shows us that, that in those times when we look around and it seems like evil is winning, we can be sure that, that one way or another, we can be sure that sooner or later, there's a plot twist coming in this story. Sooner or later, there's a plot twist coming in this story. Let's think about that for a second. What is a plot twist? What is a plot twist? Well, a plot twist is when everything in the story seems to be going one way. It's when, you know, you think you see how everything is, is going to end up in a particular story, but then, bam, uh, Darth Vader turns out to be Luke Skywalker's father. Whoa. Or, or, or bam, uh, Professor Snape turns out to be a good guy. I probably should have said spoiler alert before that. Uh, but the point is, the point is that plot twists remind us that the way things are going is not necessarily how things are going to end up, right? The way things are going does not necessarily mean that's, that's how things are going 
to end up. And John is telling us here, when we feel like evil is winning, don't forget there's a plot twist coming. We don't always know how that plot twist is coming. We don't always know when that plot twist is coming. Those are mysteries that are known only to God, ultimately, but we know that the plot twist is coming because we know already how this story ends. We know already how the story ends. So here's the takeaway uh, for us today. Um, I know I've thrown a lot at you, but, but please don't miss this uh, because this is so important. This will keep your faith intact. This will keep your hope intact. This will help you to find peace. Sometimes this can help you to find joy, even in, in very dark and, and difficult times. Here's the takeaway. As Christians, our faith is not rooted in how things are going, but our faith is rooted in where things are going. Let me say that again. As Christians, our faith is not rooted in how things are going currently, our current circumstances, but our faith is rooted in where things are going. Let me tell you what I mean. If our faith was rooted in how things are going, our current circumstances, then as long as things are going well, then our faith is gonna be fine, right? But as soon as things start to fall apart, then our faith is gonna start to fall apart too. And that is so unnecessary because Jesus never promises us that things are always gonna go well for us. Jesus never tells us to put our faith in, in how things are going. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus tells us that we can expect that oftentimes in this life, things are not gonna go well for us. Why? Because we're just not to the end of the story yet. And so, so our faith isn't rooted in how things currently are. Our, our faith is rooted in what Jesus actually does promise us. And what Jesus does promises, promise us is that regardless of whether things are currently going well, regardless, things will end well. Things will end well, no matter what. And we know that that's true because of Easter, you know, at Easter, we, we already see a glimpse of the end. We already see a glimpse of the great plot twist that is coming. I mean, think about Good Friday. How are things going on Good Friday? Not well, to, to put it mildly, not well at all. On Good Friday, the disciples could have swore that evil was winning. They could have swore that evil had won, right? All, by all appearances, evil had won, but then bam, Plot twist, on Sunday, Jesus is risen and evil doesn't win. Love wins in the end. Love wins in the end. Uh, so, regardless of how things are going, uh, even when it seems like evil is winning, we don't need to lose our hope. And we don't need to lose our faith because our faith is rooted in where things are going. In the ending of our story, the outcome has already been decided. So, so John's message to us would be that even when it feels like evil is winning, hey, don't walk away from faith. Uh, don't, don't pull back, but instead lean in. Lean into faith. Uh, lean into church. Keep coming together as a community so you can remind each other, John would say, of where your faith is rooted. And for the rest of this letter called Revelation, John expands on all of this. And John teaches us how we can live in. John teaches us what does it mean to, to live in light of this plot twist that we know is coming. 
So for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to look at several other passages in Revelation, and I'm excited about this because along the way, we're going to see how we can stay full of hope. We're going to see how we can stay full of faith as we lean into this uh, core foundational truth that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, that Jesus is the beginning and the end. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and and loving God, merciful God, um, Lord, you know how hard life can be in this world, and we're so grateful that you're the kind of God who is so deeply committed to us and so deeply in love with us that you refuse to let us face the evil in this world all alone, but you come to be with us over and over and over again, and you journey with us through thick and through thin, God. And we thank you that you love us enough to give us this promise, to show us a glimpse of the future, so so that we know that regardless of how things are currently going, evil will not win in the end, that you have a good future prepared for us, God. And we still have lots of questions uh, and we wonder so many things about uh, what are we waiting for and, and why is it taking so long? And we cry out to you and we groan, God, but we take comfort in the fact that you're with us and that we know how the story ends. God, help us uh, to, to have faith in that. God, and help us to, to live faithfully as people who know that this great plot twist is coming. Help us not to get so caught up in what's going on right now that, that we forget to invest ourselves in the future that you have for us, God, because you invite us to become a part of this great plot twist in the way that we follow you and in the way that we live our lives, uh, Lord. So continue to be with us. Give us the guidance that we need. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the faith that we need. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we go, uh, friends, a few things for you here. Uh, first, if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you, uh, but I need your contact information in order to do that. So there's a link in the description here that says connect. If you click on that and leave me your info, uh, I'll reach out to you this week, and I look forward to, to saying hey and, uh, and getting to know you. Uh, also, if you're local, we would love to see you in in-person worship. Online worship is great in so many ways, but there's no substitute for getting in the same room uh, with other believers and doubters and questioners and, and just kind of wrestling with this stuff and celebrating uh, all of this uh, together. So uh, get on our website. It's kindrednc.church. You can get all the details uh, about in-person worship. Uh, And then finally, as always, check the description here for a link to this week's newsletter, which has our latest announcements and and ways that you can get involved in our community. Uh, Once again, friends, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you.